Welcome to the Small Church Podcast, where faith, community, and ministry intersect in the unique context of smaller congregations. I'm your host, Tony Marr, and I'm thrilled to be joined by two men who are convinced they're a little bit more talented than I am. <laughs> that is right. I'm Robert Kill, one of those supposedly more talented guys, co-host and fellow small church leader. Together, we're here to explore the challenges, triumphs, and inspiring stories within the tight-knit communities that make up our smaller churches. And I'm Bruce Montgomery, the one here to bring even more to the table than these two and offer a unique perspective to our conversation. So whether you believe this talent hierarchy or not, you're in for a treat. If you're a pastor, a church member, or just curious about the world of leadership, you're in the right place. Each episode, we dive into topics that matter to you, from innovative ministry ideas to navigating the unique dynamics of a smaller congregation. So grab your cup of coffee, settle in, and let's journey together through the wonderful tapestry of small church life. This is the Small Church Podcast. Well, good morning and welcome to another episode of the Small Church Podcast. I'm Tony Marr. I'm here with my good friends Robert Kell and Bruce Montgomery. And uh, we've been deep into the weeds already this morning. We've spent about the last 30 <laughs> minutes having a conversation that halfway through it, we said we should have hit record on this. Uh, and maybe someday down the road, it will be a, an episode of our show, but not today. No. It is, and it's a good conversation, and I mean, just a lot about theology and, you know, where the church should be, what should the church be doing, what's the role of pastors, how, you know, where should pastors be in that space of of intelligence versus ministry, and kind of Jesus walked in and brought a whole bunch of pastors along by saying, follow me, and they all walked down the road when there was a ton of people around who had a lot of experience. I mean, a lot of knowledge, a lot yeah. of stuff, and these were a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and winemakers that didn't seem to have uh you know quite the they were dropouts they, yeah 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 quite the quite, quite the same education system so yep. Yep. bruce looks like you're in veil today but we're we're glad to have you wherever you're coming from well i'm at my home in, in um, kingsport and i'm looking at out the window and it's not snowing but my background is so oh, for you guys yeah, you're making um, me long for snow. Like I, I never long for snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want I'm just, it. I'm just, I'm just trying to keep warm and listen to this conversation, and I'm not quite sure where we are with it right now. So, um, uh, come back, come back to me later when I wake up. <laughs> well, oh. Bruce, we're, we're glad that we're at least seeing your face on a computer screen right now. Uh, it's a good face to be looking at. So this morning, we're doing something a little bit different. This is almost our 50th episode. I'm not what sure up? exactly where we're at, but we're somewhere in the mid to late 40s. And we thought that... <laughs> Much like you and I in that's life. That's right. We're, we're pretty close there. <laughs> Let's hope we don't age as quick as yeah. this podcast. But hopefully we age as sweet and as well as this podcast. Uh, but today we decided we wanted to do something a little bit different. We're 40-some-odd episodes into this. Uh, we've gotten a, a pretty large group of listeners that, that tune in every week and subscribe to the show. And if you're not one of them, if you're just tuning in, why don't you go ahead and hit that subscribe button so that you can get the latest episode every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. <laughs> you can set your alarm to be sure to get it right at 6.01, be one of the first people to listen. But wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, you can subscribe to us and uh, be sure to, to tune in. But over the course of the last almost year, <clears throat> excuse me, that we've been doing this show, we've had some episodes that have resonated really well with our listeners. And we've had via email, some people send in some questions, some uh, thoughts that they had. And so we thought we'd take today and just to answer some listener questions that, that have come down the pike over the last couple of months. Uh, thought that it would be great to do a live call-in show, but logistically, that we can barely get this thing working <laughs> most, most mornings when we hit record. And, uh, and so the, the thought of a live call-in show we didn't think would work very well. At this stage, maybe if more of you subscribe and we can maybe begin to bring in some revenue off of this thing, then we could upgrade our technology and be able to do something like that. But for right now, this is what's going to have to suffice. And I don't, I don't think our wives are good enough um, voice actors to make enough phone calls and different voices <laughs> to make a live call work, a live show go. So we'll see. I wonder what's if the you dumbest use thing? AI for that. Yes, yes, you can. What's the dumbest thing you've ever set your alarm to get up early for? 
to make sure that you got it done when it was ready and like as soon as it hit you were there the second edition of the apple ipad i don't know if i call that stupid it dropped at like 4 a.m eastern time or something like that and i was in queue at 315 eastern time ready to go and get that thing. which is like midnight where you were living wasn't it true yeah <laughs> so you basically didn't go to bed <laughs> no didn't go to you bed. just watched an extra episode of the office or something right. and then called it a day i'm so proud of you that you just <laughs> dropped the office which is which is one of my top tv shows of all time and you're not a fan i am not a fan at all um although i did watch a clip last night on some social media thing when it was Carell's final episode and they did their their version of Seasons of Love and saying that because I'm a musical guy. And so that was um, that was kind of fun to see them rework that and Will Ferrell there and doing his thing. So yeah, that was good times. Yeah, it was great. I got up super early to to set up our Disney Plus accounts one time. Like Disney Plus was coming out. There was a show I wanted to see and uh, and I was thinking the most recent one though would be Apple TV when Ted Lasso came out. Wow. Like I was up, like as soon as Ted would drop, I would be up to watch Ted Lasso. My kids probably a year or so ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, got very excited that the final season of Stranger Things <laughs> was releasing on Netflix. And it, it released at like midnight or something like that, midnight Eastern. And so they had planned and planned for weeks that they were all going to pull an all-nighter and watch the entire thing in its entirety in one setting as soon as it as soon as it launched and so uh, Amanda had made all kinds of snacks for them and grazing food and they had sleeping bags all downstairs in the living room and uh midnight came and they started like 6 a.m the next morning we came out because they had school the next morning and we're like hey you know your teachers can deal with it uh half our kids are homeschooled half of them are not so we said you can you know at the homeschool kids you can go back to bed the rest of you you have to suffer through and so we come in at like six o'clock in the morning and uh there's only one left camden my my son is the only one sitting on the couch and he looks like a zombie the girls had gone to bed and i said you by yourself he said yeah i've got 15 minutes left i'm i'm making it through and uh he struggled through it. He, he persevered. We didn't do all night. We did uh, when the last season of Outer Banks dropped. All of us, like I did, I, I reworked my, I worked a bunch of extra hours earlier in the week and took time off on Friday afternoon. We, Melissa made a bunch of like, uh, she did like silly names, like Outer Banks show based food and things like that. And we had all this stuff and, and things. And we all like, noon sat down and we binged the entire uh, most recent season of Outer Banks in one sitting. And so we don't do that very often. I mean, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Outer Banks. It's, it was a fun show. Isn't it very, like a soap opera? It's just a, a like a, I'd say it's a teen ish uh, drama. Like I think it's geared to, to be a little more there. It's got a couple adults in it that people know from, um, like uh, whose line is it anyway, and some stuff like that. You um, love Parenthood, don't you? I have never watched an episode of Parenthood. <laughs> Melissa has seen it all the way through. Those are typically more her shows. Um, I tend to watch things like culturally that sit a little stronger, especially inside of like student and family ministry stuff. Outer Banks was a big show. We watched a lot of Glee back in the day. Um, we watched the OC. Uh, like lots of shows like that that kind of sit in. We tend to kind of work around those just in culture, understanding, working with middle school and high school students still, and we're raising them. So provides a lot of good conversation. I was almost in an episode of the OC. There you go. Yeah. They did an episode where they went to Las Vegas, and they were calling for extras to come down and be a part of it. And so I ran down there and, and did it but didn't make the show. I think it was the OC. Melissa, my wife is from North Georgia, and uh, the Mall of Georgia was, at this point in time, just recently built. And they were doing open casting calls for the OC and I told Melissa, I was like, like, that is super intriguing to me. Like I would, that would be a lot of fun at that point in time. I'm going, yeah, but I would, I would not have enjoyed that life. The so. OC introduced me to some great music though. Mm. Death Cab for Cutie. Yeah. 
some some good some good things came out of that. We have digressed, and we really kind of are into pastors' picks already going there with your outer banks. So, so we can go ahead and just hit into pastors' picks. And now, pastors' picks. Were we reading? What are we watching? What are we listening to? Does anyone really care? Probably not. But we will tell you anyways. So, Robert, we know that you're watching Outer Banks. Well, that was that was like a year and a half, a year ago or something like that. Um, I Currently, I'm watching Justified. I've never watched that show, and so I'm kind of watching through that. And so um, doing that, and then um, probably a little more relevantly, John Mark Comer's new book just dropped, Practicing the Way, kind of a week and a half ago. Uh, my family, we're actually all reading that together, all five of us. And then we're starting a series in the Book of Ruth this Sunday. So been spending a lot of time watching videos and reading books and stuff around the, you know, 85 verses of Ruth over the last little bit. So yeah, that's me. That's great. Bruce, how about you? What are you into this week? This week I'm trying to pick up some old books and, and take a look at them again on storytelling, Tony. <clears throat> They're probably ones you wouldn't know about, but Frederick Beekner. Uh, was a preacher, Methodist preacher, yeah. and a storyteller. And I've got Telling the Truth, the Gospels, Tragedy, Comedy, and Fairy Tale, and uh, Telling Secrets. And so, again, I'm just, just looking for things that, I guess, skill-wise or uh, professionally I would have looked at. And it's it's uh, it's been interesting how much I realize I forgot. <clears throat> and uh, But um, I just, I think that... Um, we, the conversation we had before about preachers and preaching and what do we do to train preachers? I don't think we do enough to train preachers in you're talking about theology, but also in communication. And that's not only one of the questions we have is uh, how does an introvert to become this? And um, so communication, I think, is a very, very important thing. But those are the things I, I've kind of played with. That's great. What about you? Uh, I've been reading a book uh, called, it's a leadership book called Extreme Ownership. It's by two Navy SEALs, um, mm. Jocko Willich and Leif Baron or something like Jacques that. Jacques Cousteau and Leif Erickson? Jocko. His name's Jocko. <laughs> yeah, Jocko and Leif. Uh, two former Navy SEALs that uh, just talking about how their experience on the teams, that the SEAL teams helped shape their leadership perspective and, and really, really good, Re- really yeah, I would highly recommend it. But but the thing that I'm that I'm excited about today sitting here is I discovered a song yesterday that mm-hmm. it's one of those songs that, that it comes across and, and you listen to it like eight times. And I sent it to my wife and I said, hey, I don't do this very often, but man, you got to listen to it. And maybe you've heard it. Maybe it's an older song that I don't know how it never came on my my radar, but it's by a group out of Seattle called the Sing Team. You ever heard of these guys? I have not. Uh, the Sing Team. And they have a song called Satisfied in You that's based off of Psalms 42. It is amazing. It is phenomenal. And so uh, I would highly recommend to any of our listeners out there, The Sing Team, Satisfied in You. Great song, uh, worship song, and uh, just really good. Really connected with that this week and have probably listened to it 40, 50 times in the last uh, 72 hours. So really good. And that's that's what we are listening to, watching, and reading this week. That was Pastor's Picks. All right, so we're going to dive into some listener questions right here. I want to give a little bit of a, an update for our listeners that, that probably don't know this, that, that we have you guys listening from all over the place. We have, as of uh, a couple of days ago, when I checked our, our most recent demographics, we have listeners regularly in eight different countries. Uh, we have listeners in 35 of the U.S. states. Uh, so that is that's pretty exciting to see that we have some of you wherever you're tuning in. Uh, we're coming from East Tennessee is where we're recording from, but have backgrounds from a lot of different places. I grew up on the West Coast. Uh, you're a Southern I'm all boy. South, yeah. you're, you're Southern boy. And, and Bruce, you kind of have roots in the Midwest and the North, right? Mm-hmm. Indiana was where I grew up. Um, Minnesota is where I went to Bible college and then I got down to the South. Tennessee and never got away. 
so we can we can so, relate uh, with our listeners wherever they are. But uh, we've had questions come in that have come from all over, from different different parts of the country and covering a wide range of topics. So guys, we wanted to just spend some time today answering some listener changes. And our first question uh, comes from our episode, Navigating Change in Small Churches. And a listener sent us this question via email. How can small churches effectively navigate change while preserving their unique identity and traditions? Robert, you want to jump in on that one? Bruce, you've got a, a response to that. Yeah, I, I've got a young man that I meet with who's been in, or was a youth minister and done other things. Now he's in a small church and, and he's loving it, and he's he's making change, but he's making change very gradually. And I think I think if you're going to do navigating small churches and how do you effectively navigate change, it's uh, and and keep their identity. I, I think honestly, it, it, some some of it begins with the music. Leave it, leave, leave it alone for a while, I would tell a person if you go in and they're, and they're still singing from a hymn book, leave it alone for a while. You don't have to change everything all, all night, every night. And some of the people you have are locked into that kind of music. So don't try to, to force things. Uh, it, let, let it kind of come in and include your leaders. When you, when, you make, when you do make changes, make them gradually and inter- include your leaders before you make the change and have them think it's their idea. Have them them promote the idea and go with it. And I think here, and he's having really tremendous success with with doing those kind of things. And and I just I think sometimes we want to change things too fast and change change whether it's fast or whether it's slow is uncertain. It makes people uncertain. It makes them tentative. It makes them uh, kind of fearful. And so it's it's gonna it's gonna affect them either way. But I think going slowly in a small church will probably be the safest way to get it and to get it so it'll stay. And that's that's what I think you want to you want to do. So let the, let the leaders participate in the planning, and in the planning, uh, share your goals, share what you want to happen, but um, don't just jump on the nearest thing, the latest thing you see. Uh, I've seen people go to conferences and come back with the whole, and, and they bring the whole conference with them. And it lasts about three weeks. So the, the rule of thumb I was told was, if you can still remember the, the conference you went to six weeks after you've been there, then you might start one idea. But I, but I think that the, the, be thoughtful about where the people are, those songs, those things they're doing, even though they seem antiquated somewhat to you. They're 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 not to them, and you need to put yourselves in the in the in the seats of the people that uh, you're addressing. Yeah, you know one of the things. You know, Bruce, I think that I mean, there's a lot of really good there. Like I'm, I I love some of those thoughts. I think about Maxwell's leadership principle, um, and uh, you know who who has who's the most important, who's the most powerful person in the room, and him meeting the farmer out and helping him farm and things like that, and learning those principles. And so bringing bringing everyone along. When I re- when I read the question, and, and maybe I totally misunderstood, is like the how to navigate change while preserving their unique identity and and traditions and. And so here, like, here's a couple of thoughts, and, and you guys, like, I, I mean, we have all individually done work. We don't pre-prep this thing. So if you're listening and you're going, man, like, so I'm going to throw a couple things out here, and then we can argue about it or whatever, or maybe we all agree. One, like, traditions are somewhat the antonym of change, and and I'm I'm not sure. Like what are what like I, I, there were so many questions I would have like what are we trying to change like are we talking discipleship culture but we want the same music or we wanted to change the music and keep our discipleship culture I mean what like what's the change is, is it our leadership structure is, is it deacons versus elders is, is it you know how our family ministry reports who they report i mean like what changes or what's the you know what's the sacred cow that we're trying yeah, to take to the great. slaughterhouse I think, I think it's hard to answer the question without a little bit more uh, detail on, on what they're asking so the, the the so the two things that i would say is based on that 
just I, I'm not sure is I would ask myself if I was in their spot, why am I preserving? Why am I holding on? What here means something that I feel like I need to hold on to? Am I new to the church and I see how much it means, but maybe I know it's not the best thing? Am I doing this out of sentiment because I grew up in this church and they made me the pastor? I grew up in this town and I started this church and now I'm 15, 16, 18 years down the road. I'm 40 years down the road and I'm going, hey, there's things that need to change. The other thing I would say is this scene, and this seems very opposite kind of, of what I've just said. I would say, don't forget your unique identity is probably what is causing your growth or your decline. Like what makes you unique is what makes you unique. And I wouldn't necessarily just be trying to change things. Like I want to be a better communicator, but I'm not going, I'm not changing. I'm not getting very far from where I am at almost 50. Um, I may lean into some things differently. I may learn stuff. I may get a little different cadence every now and then, but I'm not changing a ton of things there. But like what's unique about your identity is probably either what's causing you to grow or what's causing you to decline. And in that, I would start to say, if we're growing, why am I really wanting to change? And if we're not growing, growing healthily, I should say, and if we're not growing, what's the, what's the one thing? that's causing that bump and how do I pull leaders around that? Yeah, I think that's great. I think, you know, I look, I think of Ecclesiastes, this to everything there is a season, Yeah, you know, uh, there's a time, there's a purpose for everything. And maybe some of the things that you're holding on to were really purposeful in a season and maybe they're not so much now. And so do we need to look at, I think the question is, what is the purpose of the change? Is it a personal preference? Or is it a kingdom issue? You know, is it something that, that, like you said, if you're growing and you're worried about losing some of the things that has made your church, uh, the DNA of your church in, in the past, you have to look and see, is, the, or is that something that was simply just for a season that helped us identify with who we were trying to reach then that maybe doesn't help us identify with who we're trying to reach yeah. now? Um, or is it something that, you know, our whole conversation that we had before we hit record, is it something that is fundamentally essential to our core of who we are as the body of Christ? And uh, if, if it's something like that, then then yeah, maybe it's something that you don't toss out. Uh, but, but I think those mm -hmm. are questions that you have to ask. Is it simply just a personal preference? Is it a cultural preference that maybe isn't relevant as much today as it was back when this came, or is it something that is, that is definitive to who we are as a, as a people, as a congregation? And there are good things that need change. Like I was having a conversation um, just this week and praying through some things with leadership at my, at my church. Um, and I was just asking questions of, man, when, as God continues to do, like we are, so close to having to make some big decisions about maybe a third service or some things like that, just because of space and, and the size of our thing, uh, the size of our building and the size of what we're doing. And, and, and the concern for me is that if we go to a third service, I think we lose something. So the question starts to become, how do we, how do we come together and maybe not launch what would be considered a traditional a, like more of a traditional another campus because we will launch another campus. That's just what we do. I mean, our church, we, we, we're a church that plants churches and we've got one very intentional location right now, another one that's starting to have some conversations and another one that we're praying about. So, I mean, we've got three locations we're praying through right now. And, and that's just what we always do. But the conversation was, hey, how committed are these people to this idea and in an effort to keep what God's doing, to keep us focused in and not get crazy and try and do three, four services so until we can launch and send 50, 60 people out to do something new and then come back down to two, how, how do we, how could we do this differently? And there was a really prayerful and thoughtful conversation around that. And that to me is something that I'm trying to figure out, how do you change a culture because we're in a really small town. I mean, and how do you change a culture and potentially put a church four miles down the road that is your same church? Yeah. 
and potentially you even being the person that's communicating that. How do you do that? How does that work? And I don't, and that is not even at all like what the plan is, but I'm just saying like, what if that was the plan? Like there was just a bunch of conversations that happened and, and it puts us in the thought of really prayerful execution. And I think that's the thing is so you're navigating change. Who can you sit with? Who can you trust? I'm thankful. I'm fortunate to be a part of a network of churches. I, I mean, I think people need to know there's three guys here on these microphones that like genuinely care. If you're listening and you're going, I don't have anyone like send an email, like we will find a time to do. Yeah. We, we had a, we have a church that we've worked with um, quite a bit that, that went through a situation uh, over the course of the last couple of years that, um, I thought was pretty interesting in, in regards to this, that it was a large church, Restoration Movement Church. So in, mm. in the Restoration Movement, the Stone Campbell Movement, uh, whatever you want to label it as, uh, communion is a very important part of the service. It's, yes. it's something that the Restoration Movement says, we, we're going to do communion every week. We're going to take part of our service, our corporate gathering every single week. And this church, very strong foundations in the restoration movement. Uh, the church was growing exponentially. I mean, to, to the point of several, several thousand people getting a pretty good reputation of being a very progressive church, doing a lot within the arts. And their leadership came and said, we're to the space now where they're doing four or five services and to accommodate all the people that were coming. And when they look at, we can't have our services go in 75, 90 minutes when we've got another service coming right in. So we've got to really stick to our production time. And I hate to use that term, but production time for what's happening to stay on track because we have people coming out, people coming in and all of this. And so we've got a very limited number. And they started talking about the discussion of pulling communion out of the service, making it available in a small little chapel room that they have in another part of their building that anyone who wants to do that. But the conversations that... Uh, that were being had around the table of the leadership was saying, we've got several thousand people. Our primary reach is to the unchurched within the city. And so we push communion as a time for believers, which according to first Corinthians, it mm -hmm. is, you know, it's a time for believers to, to partake and remember. And if you're not a believer, then, you know, you probably shouldn't do this according to first Corinthians. And, uh, and so they said, we've got the vast majority of our people that this is a moment in our service that we're taking four, five, six minutes of our service that we could fit in another song or another video or another creative element that they're just sitting. And then you had another portion of the leadership that was saying, no, but this is fundamental to who we are. This is, this is why we gather together. Ultimately, they made the decision that they were going to pull it out, that, that they were going to offer communion every single Sunday at every single service, but in a separate room. And it was not a dedicated part of their service. And the uproar that they had over that caused a lot of people to leave the church. Now they ultimately stuck with their decision and, and kept with that. And that's the way that they're operating still today. But it was something that was very traditional to their church, very much a part of their identity and, and I think that one of the things that's that's interesting is that church now has taken Christian out of their name, that they were such and such Christian church, and now they're just such and such church. Um, and uh, they, they've really kind of distanced themselves because of the backlash that they got. They've kind of distanced themselves from the the movement that they were a part of, the denomination without a hierarchy is what I like to say when talking about the restoration movement. Um but they've, they've really kind of distanced themselves from that in a way uh, to be more culturally relevant, I would say, to the people that they're trying to reach. And I, I think if you would ask them now, they would probably say that they stand by their decision and it was the right call, but I'm not so sure that it was. I, I would... I would probably agree, and I'm. I know I'm looking at two or three churches. I'm sorry, I'm not looking at them. I'm, I mean, I'm not standing at their buildings. Um, I'm thinking of two or three churches right now that would say. We do multiple services every day, and the pastor speaks 65 minutes sometimes. Um, you know, it's 45 is kind of the minimum, and he can get to an hour, hour five 
really somewhat regularly. And, um, and I think that they, they managed to do that. They've got some of the most well-known worship leaders in all of some of these churches that have some of the most well-known worship leaders in the entire country, maybe the world. And, um, and, and they do it. And so I think, I think that's the thing I would say, and then we can move on. I mean, I mean, if you've got more to say, of course, I mean, I don't care. I mean, we can talk about it as long as you want to, but like, I think the thing is, is that you've got to prayerfully decide like, what is this? And like, there's, you know, it's like we talk about their kids. There's things, there's battles you want to die, you know, hills you want to die on battles you want to die, you know, with, and there's things you want to let slide. And I, I mean, inside of that type of space, I would probably not want to, if that was something that was that, I mean, I, I don't come from a background. I come from a Baptist, more of a Baptist background. In my current church, we do communion kind of at a minimum 12 times a year, which I know feels really different to people in this, you know, Restoration Stone Campbell movement. Like that would feel very, you know, like almost sacrilegious to people who are deep in that. But, you know, so, but for me, that's actually way more than I did it growing up. I probably, we probably did it six times a year. So anyway, yeah, I, but I, I think it's a very, val- I mean, I think there's things like that that are values. And if you feel like it's a biblical principle, which has been my understanding in that, is that they feel like biblically it's something they should do, I would probably fight for that. Yeah, so I'm not sure how well we answered that question, but we tried our best. Sorry, excuse me. Okay, next is for an episode that, our, our latest episode, Rural Ministry, that we did an interview with Ben Rule. And this one actually came that after we recorded the episode, I was sitting down with a pastor who had a long history of rural ministry and we're talking with him about the episode and some of the things that we discussed. And he asked me this question. So this one wasn't submitted via email, but this one came to me personally from a listener that I was meeting with. And he said, for those of us who are in rural ministry, what are some practical strategies that we can do to create community engagement, to reach out to our community um, and, and tie them in? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't necessarily consider even, even though Ben and I are from the same size town and our counties are pretty similar and things. I, I don't, I don't feel like his drive to a bigger city is as quick as mine. Right. Um, and and so um, I don't feel quite as small town as, as rural ministry as as been, even though our towns are the same size. So, but for me, like in my town and what I'm doing, and I've said this before, and there's episodes about this, and so I, I won't spend a lot of time here. I think if you're if you're trying to to look at the question to engage to create community engagement is be a part of the community. That's exactly what I was going to say. Be a part of the community. And and Tony, I mean, you've you've shown up sometimes accidentally, sometimes on purpose, and you've seen our church. I mean, we we are part of the Halloween downtown event. People can, I mean, people can feel how they want to about that. We, you know. I don't dress up or things like that. It's not my jam, but like we stand outside and we put fire pits in the middle of, of a small town. You can get by with this stuff. So if you're talking rural ministry, you can do these things. We put fire pits in the middle of the road and we make s'mores. Uh, we're a part of the parades. Our we our parade float is our band because <clears throat> there are some very, very, very talented musicians in my community. Um, our church that I'm aware of is the only full band contemporary style church in all of our county. Now, again, from my church to one of the biggest churches east of Knoxville is about 16 minutes. So, I mean, you know, it's a huge church really close to us. And so several really huge churches that have great bands and great stuff. So people can drive on the interstate very quickly to get to some of these other spaces. Um, But... Like our band hops on the back of a trailer and we play Christmas songs and do things and drive down through the parade and and stuff. And we hand out candy and do things like that. Fourth of July parade, we rent a snow cone machine and we stand and, um, and we stand at the end of where the parade is. People come down and hang out and we make free snow cones and our church just stands there and we just shake hands and say, hey, hand out free snow cones, build relationships with people. And then the fire department that uh, comes down right in front of another church that's in, in our town and turns on a fire hydrant, sets up a big sprinkler and people run through a sprinkler for like 40 minutes in the middle of summer. Yeah, we just some do of the things tons that you guys stuff do like are that. incredible like that, that I think any church in a small town can do. The other thing that I want to add to that is that in a small town, and Ben talked about this some in the episode, 
that you have the opportunity to know everyone and to be known by everyone. So if you're this, if you're listening and you're a pastor in a small town and you're wondering, how do I get community engagement? You individually go out and be a part of the community. Get out of your church. Go down to the local coffee shop. Go to the barber shop. You know, make it known to where when you're walking around town, people are calling you pastor. That that's how they know you, and they know when you're walking down the street. Get involved in the yep. community organizations that are taking place, uh-huh. and then when they come to a place in their life when they say, "Hey, life is falling apart. Maybe I need to look into this Jesus thing, this God thing, this church thing." Well, where should we go? Well, we've only got three churches in town, or maybe in your town, maybe it's a lot like some of our world places, and there's more churches than there are people. But you're the pastor that sits next to them when they're getting their hair cut. You're the pastor that they see at the Waffle House every day or at, or at uh, Aunt B's Cafe. Probably know? more Aunt B's in small towns, yeah. More Aunt B's yeah. than Waffle House, yeah. And, uh, and so be known. You know, be known in your community. Really engage with your community if you want them to engage with your church. Right. I think use, use your gifts. If your gifts are what you do, music, Robert, uh, then I, Richard, I would, I would say... Yes, you want to uh, use your gift and play music. If I, for me, I always coach little league, or I coach uh, coach uh, Tony League baseball. And Tony does a lot of coaching and things. And uh, I called you Robert, and I called Robert Wright, and then I called Robert Richard. But uh, memories is going when you could be seventy six. Uh, most of the time, I've been in big towns, but when I have been in a small town, I try to find the things that my, my gifts meet with the town yeah get go to the barber shop go to the the places that, that they're they're there frequent the stores that are there if there are stores if not uh do what the people do but I, but uh have i i just always try to have fun you know and just be me in the community walk around uh if, if there if there is a coffee shop tony uh even here in kingsport we don't really have a coffee shop uh, so you, it's kind of hard to find that. And in Johnson City, we had um, the the one big uh, American, uh, what, what was it, uh, Atlanta Bread Company, and, and every preacher in the town, I think, went there to to meet people and, and do things. And pretty soon they went out of business because all they were doing was buying a coffee or two and then taking up space. And uh, but I just think just being being natural, find find the things that the people in your church do and gravitate to and be a part of and, 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 and share. And you may have said all that while I was gone, but it, no, I it's, think that's great, I, I yeah, think, think it's just right be on. yourself, be yourself, share your gifts. And if you don't have a gift, uh, if you don't have a gift in music, don't show it off. You know, if you can't, if you can't hit a note that will fit into the tune, don't hit the note, you know, don't, don't be there, fake it. But uh, <laughs> but just be just be natural and with people, just be accepting. You know, it, it's just I try to accept every person that I meet, and and sometimes it's harder than others. But just just kind of accept them, learn their name, and that's that's for me right now. Short term memory right now is my big one of my big issues. Yeah, Richard, and, and what I do you lose. think about that? <laughs> yeah, 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 Bob. What do you think about that? And you're, and. Uh, and I'm Bill Hollyhower, you're and so, and, and it's embarrassing to not do that. But if you can, you can get the names. Uh, I, I'm getting, I'm getting where our shirts are. I'm going to have to carry a pad around with me. Yeah, and Bruce. Write down the name. Our, our next yeah. question is one that I'm, I'm excited to hear from you on because, still going back, and I think we've discussed this before. Going back almost 30 years now, one of the most influential classes that I took in in undergrad or graduate school was a course that I had with you on interpersonal and intrapersonal communication. And so our next our next qu- listener question came from our episode on hospitality and guest retention, which was actually a two-part episode. And a, a listener said, how can I break through my introvert personality to engage new guests in my small church? And then they added this, give me real practical suggestions. Well, I would, I would say get over yourself first. You know, try to try to do, get over your fear, but go up and do on, on, on a certain day, go up and meet three people. Your goal is to meet to three people and remember them and talk to them. When I when I first went into ministry, I grew up in a in a town of a, in a country, in a town of a, of a million in a church of three thousand, and what I found in that is a, is a big churches are just small churches that meet in the same with the same roof over their head, 
because you can't you can't know everybody. And then my first church is about 100 100 people, and I didn't know and I I never been in a church that small in my life. So I just decided to go out and meet them. And I'll tell you I'll tell you a story. I, I I used to go around by the pews and just shake hands with people. Every person in the church I tried to get to. And one Sunday, I didn't get there to one person because somebody came and grabbed me when I was doing it, and somebody wanted food, so they pulled me away. And I never got back before the service, and I got a call that afternoon. Are you are you mad at my mother? I said, where did you that idea? Well, you didn't say hi to her. And I, I, she was the one I got cut off, cut off away. And so people, just, just say hello to somebody. Make eye contact with them when you do it. Um, Make con- make contact with as many as you can, and and don't don't uh, let your fears be that stop you from doing it. Yeah, there's a there's and a it, great it, it, book. There, there's a book that I would recommend to this listener and anyone who struggles with this. With how do I how do I get someone? How do I break through the ice when I'm an introvert? There's a book by Nicholas Boothman called How to Make People Like You in 90 Seconds. Uh, grab that book. What was that again? Nicholas Boothman, How to Make People Like You in 90 Seconds. And I think that you want practical suggestions for how you can break through your fear of talking to strangers. You know, grab that book. Uh, take a look at that. There's, there's a real practical suggestion for you there. I'd, I'd say this really, just kind of these thoughts quickly, and then you can go from there. Um, I don't, let, me, let me start with this. I don't understand where you are. So I'm just being really transparent. I've never met a stranger. I could talk to a wall. I love it. But sometimes you do talk to I, walls. <laughs> it, it is, um, and, and so it is. Just, it is true. I actually do figuratively um, and literally, literally, figuratively, metaphorically, all the things. Um, I would like. So here are things though that I have found that have helped me be successful. One, be genuine. It, like if if you're a, if you're a if you're a nervous person around people, like I get that, but the conversation you're having, Jim Elliott says, wherever you are, be all there, be a hundred percent committed to that conversation in that moment. Um, ask right. what, ask questions. People want to tell you their story. Hey, you know, Hey, tell me about yourself. Tell me this. You don't have to talk. They want to talk right. to you, especially in the role you're in. They want nothing more than to tell you everything about themselves. Yep. And and so it's there. I, I think three in that, listen, because inside of what they're saying, they're telling you what their hurt is. They're telling you what their struggle is. They're telling you what their tension is, what they're kind of holding back on. And then probably a real practical thing that you can do, um, especially if you're married, I think this could work. I mean, your wife might not be the right person, but put someone around you. And I had a friend, pastor, who um, just wasn't always the best social person. And his wife's ministry for a season, and it was a several-year season. I mean, it was a while. Her ministry was to stand at his shoulder. And it made him comfortable. It, I mean, it definitely made him that. But in that, it made him approachable. And it eased his tension and people recognize that they had no clue. They had no idea what happened. They just saw a couple that loved each other and the wife was standing there. But it was easing some stuff. It was a little bit of some protection. The church was growing really rapidly and it just kind of kept him some safeguards around. But it was also just a lot of good things that were happening inside of that that helped. And so if you're nervous, Get somebody to kind of just stand with you. You can't get into a conversation and ignore people. Right. But get somebody that's just there, that's kind of by your shoulder, that's in that space that gives you a comfort and an ease that you can step into. That's great. All right. Our next question was on our episode, The Young Pastor's Journey. Uh, Our listener asked, young pastors often face unique challenges. What are some shared experiences or advice for those starting their pastoral journey? Hmm. I'm in the scheme. I mean, I apparently have four things for all of these. So I've got four <laughs> things. One, I would sit with people who model Jesus. Uh, that's going to be a phrase you hear a lot from me over the next couple of questions. Um, and it, it, it is the phrase that, that I want you to know is needed in all the previous questions as well. 
It's Proverbs <laughs> 1, 5, right? Yeah. Let, listen to the wise. Yes. Listen to the wise, learn from them, discerning and get guidance. Um, I totally botched that, but it's no, along those lines. And I don't think this, the episode we did on mentorship, um, I think it was Bruce that was talking about this. Sit with people who model good leadership. Sit with people who just really like inspire you. I remember going to a funeral one day and the pastor performing the funeral inspired me to go home and study the Bible. The way he presented God's word and talking about, like I wanted to go home and open up the book of the Bible he was teaching from and dive in. Find somebody who inspires you that you see following the way of Jesus and, and lean in and kind of hit that with them. Um, James one, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Um, I will never forget the day I was standing in the first church I worked at 22, 23 years old. And, um, this mom is just kind of giving me down the road and I was frustrated and I was young. And now I look back and I realize what was going on. And she just said all these things, and it was really just I, like I needed to do more. I needed to do all these things. And I was like, last time I checked, my Bible says train a child up in the way they should go, and when they're old, no, they won't depart from it. Not come complain to the youth pastor every time he doesn't have enough lock-ins. Did what I say true? Yes, absolutely. Was it kind? Was it loving? Was it merciful? No. Did it meet the need of what was going on in her family at that point in time? Absolutely not. And so I just think be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Um, and, uh, and then I think the last thing is another, just another scripture, when it, when it all possible, live at peace with everyone. I think just finding a way to live at peace with people and letting the work of the ministry, letting the work of the Spirit um, be the guide in these conversations and things. Um, I think when somebody comes in and they're throwing a fit or they're having a really, you just don't know what's going on. Say, hey, I really appreciate you sharing all that. I'm going to need a little bit of time to process. I know you're wanting an answer right now. I'm going to need a little bit of time to process this. Can we get together at my office in a week from Tuesday? And, you know, and I've got time at 930. Put a, put a meeting before it and a meeting after it. Give them 45 minutes. Give them an hour, whatever that time slot is. And say, hey, you know, man, this was great. Thanks for letting me share some thoughts. Thanks for being a little more here because you're going to have time to breathe. And I just yeah. don't think we breathe enough. Yeah, uh, I, I get the ch- opportunity to sit with a lot of young pastors, guys that are just coming out of Bible college, college and seminary. And I'm, the vast majority of the guys that I walk away from meetings at coffee shops or lunch or breakfast with, the vast majority of them are either in two categories. Either they think they know everything, <laughs> that their their education, their upbringing Let's has, has <coughs> equipped them so well that there is nothing more that they have to learn. They know everything, and they can't wait to get into their new congregation and impart their lifelong wisdom of 22 years worth of knowledge and learning and growth on everyone in their congregation. Yeah, they don't even have an MDiv. They've got like a bachelor's degree or an Bachelor associate's. Bachelor of Arts in Accounting. Yeah. And, and, yep, they, and, they and they're bringing the pain, baby. They they're are. ready. So they're either in that place or they're so insecure that they feel that they have to put on a persona that they know everything, which was where I what? was. When, when I first started in ministry, I felt like, wow, I have a job that is that I'm expected to come in and be a superhero. And so I need to fake it till I make it. And both of those are so incredibly wrong. And I think you were touching on this, Robert, with, with what you were saying is come in realizing you don't know anything. I mean, you, you might, you might have a nice degree that's framed and matted on your wall. Uh, You don't know anything. And, uh, Come into your young ministry experience with that mindset that who am I going to put around me that I can just soak up knowledge and wisdom from. Uh, I butchered the verse earlier, but you know, Proverbs 1, 5, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. Yeah. Uh, And just soak it up. And I guarantee you, well, one, if you're a young pastor and you're listening to this podcast, you're already on the right path because you're taking the step of saying, I want to listen and see how I can grow. You're listening to somebody. And if we're not the right fit for you, I mean, there's really, really, I mean, there's really smart people. I mean, I I think we're all intelligent. I'm not saying that. There's really smart people that are doing podcasts. Find one. Find something. But, uh, you know, you've talked about this all the time. you got to put somebody with flesh around you. Yeah, Absolutely. Yep. We had another question on this episode of the Young Pastor's Journey. (laughs) They asked, 
What should our churches, Bible colleges, and seminaries be doing different to better prepare and equip young people for ministry? <laughs> Bruce, you I have way more than four on this one, by the way. <laughs> you got way make, more than four. Making, <coughs> making all of our all of our young preachers go through interpersonal communication and storytelling and things that help them communicate. And I was, I was going to get into the last question, and I didn't get a chance to, but. Uh, realize that when people see you, you, they have a perception of who you are and you need to be, you know, be yourself. Don't try to be somebody else when that happens and realize how much nonverbal communication is part of nonverbal and listening are two of the most important things you need to do. You watch, watch what people are doing and pick up on those kind of things and then uh, listen and uh, kind of file that away. Don't be, don't be very, don't be so rapid to want to get in the conversation, listen to people. If you're, if you're, if you're, especially if you're a nervous, if you're kind of an introverted person, people always like to talk about themselves. So the best thing you can do is ask them about themselves and let them talk. And you listen, nod, make make some agreement. But sometimes you give a nonverbal uh, cue that you you didn't intend to. And I remember on, on that very first church I preached. When I, when I left the church, one, one sweet little old lady walked up and says, don't ever tell anybody you think that you're, they're incapable. And I never in my life did it. I thought about her, but I never went to wake her up. She was the organist, and we had to wake her up at the end of each service to, to play. But um, I never never knew that I was indicating to her something like that, and, and I, was, I was very apologetic about that. But as we, as we do these others, I think the seminaries and things, really do need to get classes in interpersonal communication. And they really do need, and for, if you're going to be a preacher, I would say throw away the notes. Get Prepare your sermon, practice your sermon, don't memorize it, practice it, and then tell your people what you want to say and, and, and feedback, get feedback from them. Don't, don't just look at your notes and read your notes to them because what you're reading from your notes, they may not be interpreting the same way you're, you're intending it to be. And so... Uh, that, that that's a terrible way. I think I think uh, reading a manuscript uh, is is a terrible way to preach because the, the, you're making an assumption communicationally that's that's wrong, and we can go into that some other some other time. But I think seminaries internships. I think seminaries uh, practic practicums, those kind of things where you can get out and, and be in the, in, in the experience. And this is not what young people want to do at all. They don't want to take the time to to learn the tr learn the trade. It's almost like my father was a journeyman plumber. He was five, from, he's a former the pipe shop of Chrysler. And what what do journeyman people do? They go through an experience with somebody else. They somebody takes them through until they get to be certified. And that's what I watched my dad do. And that's what I tried to do in, in ministry is find somebody who uh, admired in ministry, not become them, but watch what they did and how they responded to people. And and I think that those are things that would be very helpful. Yeah. So, Bruce, our, I want to touch on that a little bit and get your your input on this, because one of the things that I look at the school that I went to and several others that uh, been associated with is they didn't require an internship until the summer after your junior year. And, and by then, I know a lot of guys that came back, a lot of guys that I went to school with that came back after that internship and said, my experience was horrible. I don't know that I want to do this. But at this point in time, they're three years in. They're, they're seniors now. And so to change their major, to go a different course is a long process. Why do our schools not make something like that required? If you're a Bible ministry major, why not give them credit? Give a three credit hour practical ministry class to go assign them with a local congregation to go and start working immediately in a church from their freshman year to see if this is really what they want to do. I, I don't know. Part of it, I think, is probably the schools don't... Um know the importance of communication and effective communication. They, they just think, I told you this, you're going to be able to do this. There's so much to communication that we, we're not, there are, there are people who are better skilled in it naturally, but you can become a good communicator. But it means you have to observe and you have to know some principles to it. And, I, and, and, I, and you know, you've got so many courses offered already, Tony, um, that how do you fit it into the program? 
And you know, I, I think I think doing it, I think you're doing it early, like you said, would be good because it, and and give and, and honestly give some personality tests in the process. So if you get somebody and you know they're going to fail, uh, don't take them through the pro- program. Tell them what you know. I'll be honest and say, yeah, I don't think you make it here in this, but you could do this, and 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 help them stir them into a to a profession, a Christian profession, maybe even a support profession in ministry. But if you know, the, if we see in 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 um, Bible college, we see in seminary and things, this person's not going to make it. Then being honest with them, I think is is being fair. If if we let them go through, hoping and thinking they're going to get a ministry. Then they'll be one of those people who don't make it five years in the ministry. They'll so, be one of those people who become, so, becomes a, a, a victim instead of a, a success. So Bruce, like I'm, I'm listening here to you guys, and and you know it, it I, you know it's my degrees in uh, graphic design uh, from a non christian school i mean so it's not like i went i didn't go to a bible college or a seminary i mean i've done classes of bible college and seminary things but i've not i don't have a degree in those things and and the thing that's interesting to me when you guys talk about practicums and basically the ministry version of student teaching um uh, it's or you know taking your rounds as a as a doctor when you wait till that last year and you go to a church, there's a lot of us that on the outside looking in, we think there's churches that are crazy healthy. We watch the pastor come in, we watch the staff, and they all put on the smile and they do it well. Maybe the paycheck's good enough that they decide to do it. Maybe maybe they just like ministry. Maybe they're smiling till they can find the next thing. But uh, behind the scenes, they maybe don't like each other. Maybe they're not the best leaders. Maybe they've just faked it till they've made it. And then now that once you make it, people go. And so somebody gets to a church like that and they go, this isn't for me. Like, if this is what ministry is, I'm not interested. But then on the flip side, if we if they could do a church each year, if they could do three churches, and they did it after their freshman year, after their sophomore yeah, year, and after their junior year, don't let it maybe they would go to a smaller church and realize, hey, like, these mega churches are not my jam. I'm not interested in that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I know for a fact, I've been a CEO, I've done these things, I've had cool titles and all this stuff. My role is one tier below a CEO. That Can I be a CEO? Yes. Can, I can absolutely do it. It is not my happy place. My happy place is one tier below that. And I haven't been a CEO in, and I say that like, like in ministry, like even in, in the church I'm at, I'm the teaching pastor, I'm the campus pastor, but we have a lead pastor. So there's still somebody ahead of me that reports to our board of our, you know, our leadership team, or I'll call it board of directors just for conversation. But like, I don't, so I, it's understanding your place in ministry is sometimes more important than all the other things you learn. And when you know your space, you can step into that and do well. Yeah. So we are, we are about out of time. We have enough questions here to do a whole nother episode. There is, there is one, so we'll do another episode on this, but there's one question that I want to get to because uh, I thought that it was a great question that I wasn't quite sure how to take it. We had a listener ask the question, how did you guys get to do this? Do you want my uh, answer? Well, I'm not sure if they meant this like, hey, how did you guys get to do this? We love the show. How did you guys get to, or if they meant, how in the world did you guys get to do this? I wasn't sure. So what's your answer to that? We bought a mic and hope people listen. <laughs> that, that, that was it right there. We had enough money to get a microphone. Yeah. Find somebody like Tony who can be such a good MC and uh, carry it through and then, then pick up good people along the way like Robert and uh, try not to get too many people like me. You know what I, I said truthfully? We prioritize it. We have the flexibility in our schedule uh, to do it, and we think it's important. Like we think what we're talking about is important. Yeah, and that's um, right there. and there's there's a lot to be said in that, and so um, yeah, we do. We have a couple minutes left, and so I want to get to headline news. We haven't touched on that, and we have a, a fun little article to to discuss on that that jumps right into my favorite segment of the show, which is signs. So let's first dive into headline news. 
it's time for Headline News, where Bruce, Robert and Tony search the world over for the top headlines relevant to the Small Church podcast, and then talk about it. And now Headline News. So the federal government is trying to regulate the use of, actually the, the Federal Highway Administration is trying to regulate the use of highway signs, traffic signs. That the, the big thing now, if you've spent any time on our interstates in this great country of ours, that you will come across some signs, the electronic signs, that, that give some lighthearted, humorous messages. Well, the Federal Highway Administration does not like this. And so they recently released an 1,100-page manual. Oh, that is not a typo. An 1,100-page manual. Did you download it and read it? Uh, it word for word, the entire thing. This 1,100-page manual spells out how signs and other traffic-controlled devices can be regulated. They are discouraging humorous and quirky messages from our highway signs. Guys, this is a problem. It is because I, I, they gave some examples like in Massachusetts, like use your blinker. And I'm going, that's funny to me. <laughs> that's a great, that's, that's hilarious. A great thing. I like the one visiting in-laws. Slow down. Get there late. Thank you, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Ohio and, came with it that time. Yes. You know, drive, don't drive star spangled hammered. That one wasn't as funny. I don't, I don't, Pennsylvania, you got to explain that one too. Yeah, you're going to have to do better. But I mean, I just thought like, you know, it's, you know, hocus pocus, drive with focus. I get it. They're trying to, um, hands on the wheel, not your meal. I, I would, Arizona, you're, you're, you're stepping on toes there. Like, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes you got to eat in the car. It's just got to happen. Especially it's got to happen. Road trips. But driving with your knees <laughs> while you dip in your sauce is not, uh, you know, get a, get a sandwich, not the nuggets. But in that point in time. But State Representative David Cook, a Republican from Phoenix, Arizona, was not happy with the federal government trying to control what the states can do on their state highways. And, uh, you know, he said the humor part of it, we like it. I would agree with him. I like the humor part of it. Well, and the thing is, is that I feel I feel like in moments like this, and, and I don't know, there's there's somebody out here that's smarter than me that knows more about this than I do. I think the thing about things like this and, and these types of conversations is, like, does this not seem like we're losing focus on the bigger picture? Like, are, are we not missing out on the fact of that? So instead of just really trying to dive in and stop people from driving distracted, we're going to yell at people who put funny signs up, but we're going to let people drive with their knees and text. We're going to let people put cell phones where their speedometer is and watch entire seasons of shows while they're driving down the road. I mean, I mean, like, are we not missing the bigger picture and we are, are we avoiding the elephant in the room? And so if we do something, it's better than doing nothing. Robert, you just ruined this entire segment. This was supposed to be lighthearted and fun, and you just had to go and make it all serious and dramatic and 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 turn a you just turned a page there. Well, you just read eleven hundred, so I was I'm sure in there somewhere. You gotta get angry or something about that. Yeah, I, I guess the, the bigger question for me is if the federal government sees this as a distraction, okay? So these funny highway signs, these comical highway signs, what's the statistical data behind it? Are we seeing that these are causing distracted drivers to go off the road, to wreck? What are, what are we seeing? I, I need to see some actual data on this. And then where I think it becomes relevant to our show and to our listeners is if highway signs, funny highway signs are a distraction, are funny church signs a distraction, and should those be outlawed? Because maybe we need to write an 1,100-page manual that goes out to all of our churches, discouraging strongly, strongly discouraging them from humorous and quirky church signs. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, hand me a microphone in about four hours and just let a bot do what I do, and I could probably do an 1,100-page manual on church signs. Just let me just let me ramble for about three hours. I think I could get 1,100 pages out. Think you could do that? I think I could. <laughs> Bruce, do you have any thoughts on the federal government controlling the use of highway signs? They're about 1,000 pages too long. 
<laughs> you know, if, if you want if you want me to, to 1, do something, 1,999 pages too long. <laughs> if you give me a thousand pages, I'll stick in the bathroom, use it for toilet paper. Um, but when you get get it down where I I can work with it, uh, I might read it while I'm driving, but I still it's not. <laughs> <laughs> there was this there's this guy one time i knew that he literally and i mean it, it, it's insane like he would drive buses and he would read books and highlight while he was driving buses of people around like interstates all over the place he would just have a book on his steering wheel <laughs> and he'd be driving and reading and i'm i, I mean never wrecked or anything but bruce I'm did just, you drive a bus <laughs> Pardon? did you used to drive a bus well, uh, no, uh, uh, I, I refuse to drive something so long that I can hit too many cars at one time. <laughs> all right. So all of this leads in to signs. Our sign of the week comes from a local Catholic church. Their church sign said, What do you call a sleeping, walking nun? I have no clue. A Roman Catholic. <laughs> There's your sign. Roman. And that was headline news. What you just said. Is one of the most insanely that's a great segue. That, that's perfect. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And may God have mercy on your soul. Headline News. Oh, well, that's all the time that we have for the show today. We want to thank you for joining us on this edition of the Small Church Podcast, and we hope that you got something of value out of the last hour or so of us answering your questions. We want to thank you for submitting those questions and ask you to continue to do so as we'll continue to do these episodes in the future where we respond to your questions. Subscribe to the podcast to never miss an episode and stay connected with our growing community. If you like what you heard today or on another episode, Please follow us on Facebook, like us, share us, and respond to us on social media. Review our podcast wherever you listen to your shows because that helps other people find us. Remember, this podcast is a conversation, so share your thoughts on social media. Thanks for being a part of the Small Church Podcast. Stay tuned for another episode next Tuesday. And always remember that your small church can have a very big impact. On behalf of Bruce Montgomery and Robert Kell, I'm Tony Marr, and we want to thank you again for listening. Have a great rest of your week.